Just sit right back and hear a tale about Jeffrey Epstein Who's really turned on by girls who were in their teens The financier was really rich, his best friend a madam They bought an island so their friends could f*** children Could f*** children The details are hazy about who went and who did what but one thing is for totally sure, that hawking like midgets, that hawking like midgets. So Epstein brought all his friends to his island. The British prince, the president, the billionaires, and not their wives. The movie star, the professor and magician, here on Epstein's Isle. Boom, there we go. That's a little funny to get us started. Okay, I am going to start off today's show. It is what? It's the 22nd of the month. Is it the 22nd? I've been in such a continual time warp that I don't even know what day it is. Yeah, it's the 22nd. Okay. This is probably going to be the only show I get to do this week. Uh, I want to start out with a story, and it's an older story, but maybe a lot of you hadn't heard about it because I hadn't heard about it. And it's about this father and his his son uh, suffered seizures. This is a positive story, okay? So bear with me. Uh, the son suffered seizures, and and apparently one of these seizures knocked him into a coma. And the doctors started testing on him and said he was brain dead. Well, this dad, how far you know how far would you go? I think we have this problem where every parent, if something was to happen to their child or something falls into a coma, there's always that hope that there's uh, there's going to be some light at the end of the tunnel, you know, and little Jimmy's going to make it back. I think every parent has that. Well, this father went a little bit further because this apparently wasn't the first time that his son had slipped into a coma. So what did he do? He shows up at the hospital with a gun and says, yeah, I know you're saying he's brain dead, but you're going to keep running tests on him and we're going to, we're going to work our way through this. He shows up with a gun. Police are called. The father keeps asking the son's questions, starts asking him to squeeze his hand and the son does start squeezing his hand. Now the, the hospital had already ordered Basically a drip. I forget what they call it, but it was a drip to, to basically end his life. Let me read this article real quick. So doctors at a hospital in Texas informed George Pickering that his son was in a state of brain death. They explained that his son showed no brain activity and the decision had been made to remove life support. Pickering, however, was unconvinced by their assessment and restored to extreme measures by drawing a firearm. He demanded that the doctors continue their efforts to save his son's life, threatening to use the gun if they refused. How far would you go? I think that's the question is how far would you go? The situation escalated into a tense standoff lasting three hours during which Pickering faced off against the police while the medical team performed additional tests on his son. The hospital was secured under lockdown as police negotiators tried to reason with Pickering who remained a damn it in a pivotal moment. Pickering's son previously declared brain dead responded to his father's re request to squeeze his hand indicating a cognitive presence. Following this revelation, Pickering peacefully surrendered to the authorities. Okay, I'm going to go to this interview of this father about this incident. And let me bring this up a little bit. Hang on, bear with me. And let's just take a little listen. 
as it was a there crime that made national headlines. A father storms into a Tomball hospital armed with a gun, demanding that something be done to save his son who was on life support. We covered this story for you back in January. That father is now out of jail, and his son, who the family believed was brain dead, is now alive and well. Tonight, both men are talking only on two, telling investigator Robert Arnold their incredible story. I felt hopeless. Eleven months ago, George Pickering was in a very different place in his life. He was in jail, charged with two counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Hey, we need the police stat to the hospital. We have a family member with a gun. In January, Pickering grabbed a gun, marched into Tomball Regional Medical Center, and became locked in an hours-long standoff with police. Staff at the hospital told police Pickering threatened them with that gun. He's pointing the gun like that. We really going to security and call them. Pickering's son, George III, was in the critical care unit on life support. He had a history of seizures, but this time he suffered a massive stroke. They were saying that he was brain dead, he was a vegetable. The hospital ordered something called a terminal wean, a process that slowly removes life support. Hospital staff even notified an organ donation organization to let them know Pickering's son was an organ donor. They were moving too fast. The hospital, the nurses, the doctors. Pickering admits he was extremely drunk and belligerent that night, but he says he was certain there was still life left in his son and no one would listen. He also says he had been down this road once before with his son and he came back. I knew if I had three or four hours that night that, that I would know whether George was brain dead or not. While Pickering initially had a gun, he was quickly disarmed by his other son, but continued threats prompted the standoff. Pickering stayed at his son's bedside as SWAT officers tried to negotiate his surrender. Then something happened. During that three hours, George squeezed my hand three or four times on command. Seeing that his son was recovering, Pickering surrendered. There was a law broken, but it was broken for all the right reasons. I'm here now because of it. This is George Pickering III, the man family members say they were told would not recover from his stroke and coma. It's the duty of a parent to protect your children. And that's all he did. Pickering says he and his dad share an unbreakable bond. They run a small electrical engineering business and even built their home together. Everything good that made me a man is because of that man sitting next to me. As for the criminal charges against Pickering, one was dismissed, the other lessened. He was given credit for the time he served in jail and was released this month. Phoebe Smith was Pickering's attorney. In this case, okay, we get out. the point. We get the point. Uh, but isn't it amazing that the uh, hospital already called the organ donors and said, yeah, we got a live one. They'd already started the, what, I, what did they call that drip? Anyways, the drip to slowly uh, take him off of life support. You know, I wonder if they even, if they even consulted with the family before they started that trip. Who knows? But that's an amazing story. It's an amazing story. The father had to do some time, but he got off. How far would you go? Man, talking about a, an intersection in your life where faith, the medical science and everything comes to a crossroad. I, I don't know if any of you have ever been in that position where you had to, uh, for lack of a better term, pull the plug on a relative. I've been involved in that. My father uh, was in a coma in 2010 and he, you know there came the time where doctor said he was brain dead we gave it a lot of time and then you know I, i'm pretty sure they started administering that trip to him too but i i don't know i'm, I'm just speculating on that but there comes an interesting time where you have these intersections of your belief in the medical system belief in faith in god and other things and what do you do 
you know, it's amazing that this father, if he wouldn't have spent that extra time, spent that other four hours uh, in the situation they did, this guy, he might have been dead. You know, he might have been dead. They already started the, the termination drip. You know, he could have been dead. It's an interesting story. Anyways, okay, now we're going to get into the dumb news. The dumb news that is prevailing in this society today. Um, and and this, one's, this one was really interesting. Here's my take on it. This, there's this whole thing about Trump, this video. I'm sure you've probably seen it if you've been on X at all or you've listened to any podcast. But uh, it, was, it was the whole Trump thing mistaking Nikki Haley and Nancy Pelosi's name. But the funny thing about it is how the media responded in to confirm that it's Nancy Pelosi. And I'll get to that in a second. First, let's take a little listen to what the Donald, the Don had to say. Here we go. Let's play this real quick. They never report the crowd on January 6th. You know, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, you know, they, did you know they destroyed all of the information, all of the evidence, everything, deleted and destroyed all of it, all of it because of lots of things like Nikki Haley is in charge of security. We offered her 10,000 people. Okay, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley. What he meant to say was Nancy Pelosi uh, behind the whole January 6th, whatever, debacle, okay? The funny thing is that the media, especially the mainstream media, immediately starts posting all these headlines where they are self-confirming. It, it, was, it was a flaw on Trump's part, but it comes out that it kind of worked in his favor because what do you see here? Salon Magazine, Trump credits Nikki Haley as being the person in charge of security on January 6th in New Hampshire flub. Okay, Rolling Stone, playing it a little safer after Trump aced cognitive test, he incorrectly blames Nikki Haley for January 6th. Well, here's the thing. If he's incorrectly uh, uh, blaming Nikki Haley, then who should it be? Well, the Daily Beast over here, let me get my face out of the way, Trump appears to confuse Nancy Pelosi and Nikki Haley at rally. Oh, oh, so the Daily Beast says, oh, you meant, you meant Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi was the one in charge. Haley questions if Trump is mentally fit after... He, his confuser with uh, a confuser with Pelosi, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, mainstream media jumping all over it and uh, just kind of confirming. It's funny how a fluff like that can, can work out in the favor of the president. Anyways, if you've ever heard of Arabella advisors, let me give you just a tad bit of background on them. Arabella advisors, according to Wikipedia is a Washington DC based for profit consulting company that advises left-leaning donors and nonprofits about where to give money and serves as the hub of a politically liberal dark money network. Now that's according to Wikipedia. Okay. So this next clip, I'm a play of Trump. He's not making this up. It was founded by former Clinton administration appointee, Eric Kessler. The Arabella network spent nearly 1.2 billion in 2020 and raised 1.35 billion in 2022. Okay. And, uh, some of the backers behind this are George Soros. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Uh, you know, the guy that's been backing the destruction of this country for decades now. Um, and so that's who the Arabella advisors is. Now, this is what Trump had to say about it regarding Nikki Haley and one of her advisors. Here we go. Ordered that Nikki Haley, state director in New Hampshire. This is a very bad one. Listen carefully. Tyler Clark. Did anyone ever hear of him? He was a lobbyist for the 1630 Fund, which is managed by Arabella Advisors, which is the largest Democrat dark money network in the country and considered public enemy number one. That's who's managing her campaign. By who? I'm not too sure. Does that tell you something, perhaps? 
1630 fund and the larger Arabella fund, you know who that is? It's a network, and they're giving her a lot of money because they want her to win because they don't want to run. Hey, look, they lost in 2016. Okay, yeah, so it is interesting that one of her state uh, advisors uh, heading up a whole state is a Arabella, you know, an extreme leftist organization that funds the agenda of the leftist elites. Uh, They're backing Nikki Haley. Hmm, interesting, interesting. A little bit interesting, maybe just a little bit. Are we connecting the dots? Are the dots too far apart? And it's like, well, maybe the guy fine, used to work for them. Maybe that doesn't mean they're necessarily funding her. Mm, a little bit of smoke, a little bit of fire. Let's see. Okay, so um, uh, uh, Trump was asked about Ron DeSanctimonious after, you know, we all know that uh, Ron DeSantis dropped out of the race and he's endorsing Trump. And uh, Trump had this to say about using the term Ron DeSanctimonious. Okay. He just said, will I be using the name Ron DeSanctimonious? I said, that name is officially retired. (laughs) Now, just personal opinion here. I hope to God, I hope to God that it's not Ron DeSantis that ends up as his VP. Why? I would like to see him get somebody a little bit more moderate, a little bit middle of the road uh, to go in with him instead of, uh, you know, I would like actually to see him take an independent former Democrat like Tulsi Gabbard. I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for that. I would love to see Tulsi Gabbard, somebody that has a little more um, history with the military, female, minority, really smart. I would like to see him go that route or Vivek. Vivek, maybe Vivek. Vivek would probably be my second choice, but, you know, let's just keep going. Um, Tom Hammond, Hammond, uh, we've we've seen a couple videos of him lately. Let me bring him up real quick. Tom Hammond, uh, he was the one that just took out AOC when AOC was asking questions about uh, illegal immigrants being separated from their children at the border. Um, This guy has fought under multiple presidents, the border crisis, and he did pretty good. Well, anyways, he's saying that he's he's willing to come back He said, I promised President Trump when he announced that if he goes back, I go back and I'm going to run the biggest deportation operation this country has ever seen because these millions of people being released in this country, nine out of 10, will get an order of removal based on immigration court data. Uh, So who knows? I don't know if that's something that Donald actually appoints himself, but Tom Homan, the bulldog at the border, um, is willing to come back full force with Trump. Now, I'm just using that to kick off this next little uh, uh, session of immigration. Um, There's been reports out there from, I believe it was the latest house estimate that the impact, the cost. Now we, we did a story on the last show, which was Friday about New York asking for $2.3 billion to help with the immigration problem there in New York. Okay. At the same time, they're cutting 135 million from the police department, uh, for NYPD. So they're going to limit the police, but they need money for the, for the border, uh, crisis that's affecting New York. Uh, the latest house estimates of how much this border crisis is going to cost the United States of America taxpayers. You is $451 billion. That's the estimate to take care of this illegals, to fund this illegal issue that we're having in this country. And that's a lot of money, 451 billion. Compared to what was the cost estimates to build the border wall. Now the border wall isn't a cure-all, 
But at $15 billion, you know, the wall does seem to be pretty effective in that two and a half mile stretch down there in Texas where the National Guard came in and fortified it and started turning people away. It seems to be really effective right there. In fact, it's so effective that people are walking around trying to find other places than that little two and a half mile stretch that the um, that the uh, 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 Texas National Guard has been protecting. Um, in fact, here's a video of of immigrants showing up. It's a reporter talking to them across. They're in the Rio Grande river on the other side of the fence. And it's a reporter talking to them and they're straight up saying, Hey, yeah, we're looking, we're looking to go downstream a little bit to where, uh, the, 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 uh, border patrol is at so we can get welcomed arms and get our debit card and get all that other, you know, good stuff that we need. And we're going to avoid this two and a half mile section where the national guard is. Here's a little video. Check this out. This is very, very crazy and interesting at the same time. That was a case about a mile upstream from Shelby Park where we met a pair of migrants named Edwin and Wilmer from Guatemala who say they were looking for another area to cross where they wouldn't be immediately arrested. Ahora, ¿cuál es el plan? What's your plan right now? To go look for border patrol? What they just said is that they're walking along the border here. They're looking for border patrol agents so that they can uh, surrender to them. Uh, they're going to keep going upstream here. Uh, obviously, they can't cross here because of the barbed wire. Those responsible for the enforcement here say it's working, with numbers of crossings dramatically dropping. But for migrant advocates and Eagle Pass residents like America Garcia, this scale of operation is just too heavy-handed. I would not have expected that this was possible in a democratic um, country. I what do you mean you don't understand that it's possible in a democratic company, in a country, country? I'm making flubs all over the place. Uh, it's it's not possible to protect our borders. You're off your damn rocker there. Sorry, ma'am. Uh, but why why do they want to go down to where the border patrol is? Because they get fist bumps as they cross the border. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome with open arms. This is the border. If you look at this video, you'll see a U.S. border and customs, U.S. border patrol, whatever. He's got wire cutters in his hands. He is literally cutting the barbed wire that's been put in place and welcoming welcoming these illegals right over and giving them a fist bump as they come in. Check this out. That's it. Boom, fist bump. Thank you. Okay. Here, lay out one more time. Let's watch it. See, see right there? See the bolt cutters in his hand? A little fist bump. Boom. There. Congratulations. You made it. You made it. You made it. I don't know what kind of pathetic place this is, but that is that, that is just horrendous. It's horrendous. Now, everybody, everybody just assumes, assumes that this problem coming over the border is just a bunch of, oh, it's just a bunch of Mexicans coming out of Tijuana. No, it's not. It's not. If you look at the pictures down there at the border, it's people coming from all kinds of countries. And what are we opening ourselves up to? What are we opening up ourselves to up to? I don't know. But this guy at the border, uh, it, 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 listen to the arrogance and this vibe that he has. And see if this is the kind of people that you want roaming our streets, undocumented, un, unfindable in America. Just listen to him. By the way, if you are smart enough, you will know who I am. But you are really not smart enough to know who I am. But soon you're going to know who I am. Very easy. Ah, very easy. <laughs> the, the entitlement. The entitlement. Uh, no, believe me. I'm much better than that. The entitlement, guys. Wow. Oh, come on, Jake. That's just one. That's just one. That's just one. Well, you know, when we start opening up our borders, which we have, and you start bringing people with other 
other different fabrics of moral fiber into this country. Now, I'm not saying that this next video I'm not going to play, I'm not, I'm not saying that these guys have crossed the border, but this is what we're opening ourselves up to this type of mentality mentality. When you're talking about third world countries or other countries that don't have the same respect we have for other peoples, other citizens, women, especially, you know, these African immigrants that come through, you know, God bless them. I'm sure there's a lot of good people, but here's, I want you to see some of the mentality of the street thugs in Africa that are migrants. They come to the United States, but just, I just want you to look at the mindset, look at the mindset and look how that differs from the American way. Guys, let's go. Some of them, they're not screaming. It's like they, they wanted to be raped, you see. Now this, this is a reporter that's talking to these three African street thugs, rapist, and he's trying to get into their minds and ask them questions about what they do. And it's the routine, regular raping of women in the streets of Africa. She also grabs you, you see, no it's more like crying. She's like she's enjoying it, you, you know, see. even though she isn't, but it's like she's enjoying yeah. it. Do you think it's right? Do you think it's right to rape? Yeah, it's, it's, it's wrong. Yeah, it's wrong. What about the consequences of what you're doing in terms of how that affects exactly. the person that's raped? Yeah, the consequences, we look at that all the time, you know, because it happens, she might scream, you know, people might wake up. Or a lot might, of people. Especially, I'm not just talking about, I'm talking about the emotional effect, the physical effect it has on yeah, the girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes we know that uh, we might rape her and wake up tomorrow with viruses ourselves, like HIV, you know. What about, what about regretting what you've done to the girl? I also do regret about it, because if she fell pregnant, what will be that baby's father? Who will be that baby's father? But what about her personal feelings? Dumbfounded. Dumbfounded. Just dumbfounded. Now, I'm not saying that's what's coming across our border, but when we open up the border and we allow any Tom, Dick, and Harry to come over, what is preventing with people with this type of mentality from coming in across our border? It's not a scare tactic. I'm just pointing out that the, the straight reality go. of, of some of these people that could possibly could be coming into our country. And, and the, the, the thing about this is, is it is happening. It is happening. Maybe not those three guys in this video, but here's, here's an, for instance, let me look at this article right here. This picture right here. This is Pierre Lacard Emile, an illegal from Haiti. He was arrested for raping a developmentally disabled person. It does not state whether or not she was a United Airlines employee, but maybe that's in her future. But anyway, she, he raped a developmentally disabled person. He was released right away. And why is that? Because Boston is a sanctuary jurisdiction and they refuse to work with ICE to detain him. Now, these are allegations that I'm finding on the X, the good old Twitter. It might not be true. It might be, I don't know. I'm just delving down the, the rabbit hole that is X to bring these stories to you as they happen. But if that is true, if that is true, if it's more than an allegation, it's happening right here on our land. But the thing, the, the, the part about this that is just so confusing is that Boston, they know the guy raped, if this is correct, they raped a, dis a disabled American. And they won't even go after them because they're a sanctuary city and they, want, they won't deal with the ice. That is just amazing. And here's another case. Here's another case of a parent that had, uh, I believe, a daughter raped by 
an obvious MS-13 tattoos, illegal immigrant, and now they are suing. Just check it out. I want to know what is going on at the border. I had no clue what was going on before my daughter was brutally murdered and raped, but I do now. And I found the story is just so mind-boggling on how nobody at the border did their job and checked his background. Made All they had to do was make one phone call to El Salvador to to know that he was an MS-13 gang member on the list. And it's just crazy how he got from Texas all the way to Maryland to being in the same trailer as my daughter. Yeah. Tammy, how, how are you doing? How do you, how does how do you think she's survive doing? something like this? I have, the only thing that I can come up with is that it's, it's God. It's helping me along this path. I want everyone to know. Okay. So here we have a parent suing the government over a legal immigrant coming in, raping and killing their daughter. That's heavy stuff. Are we going to see more of this? Is she going to win? I'm curious to see if she actually wins and the government takes any responsibility whatsoever. Um, but we know the deadline came and went for the Texas uh, National Guard to surrender that two and a half mile stretch on the Rio Grande River and to uh, let the Border Patrol back in with their wire cutters and their fist bumps to let the flood of immigrants happen right there on that two and a half mile stretch. And here is a some type of a, uh, a, a, a reporter on the ground reporting on what Texas actually did. The Department of Homeland Security wants full access to Shelby Park, but the state of Texas is saying no way. They're actually doubling down, putting in this new concertina wire that is actually right on top and below of this anti-climb barrier. Look at this. So this is blocking people from climbing over these Connex boxes. It's a deterrent there that they've just put in place. And we can see right now across Shelby Park, it's very busy here as they do have state uh, control right now. But you can see Border Patrol's right here with the boat in the water. So Border Patrol has not been restricted from the boat ramp. They've still been able to have access to the river and to be able to retrieve their boats as well. Now you can see that there is a big showing of Texas DPS and Texas Military Department along with Florida Wildlife Commission. That's because we have DPS Director Steve McCraw over here as well. So like I said, Texas is doubling down right now, upping the ante, saying that they're securing the border where the federal government is failing. Okay, somebody get that girl a windscreen for her lavalier mic for crying out loud. This is, don't get me started. Uh, so you notice that she said there that Florida wildlife is there. In other news, it appears that uh, Alabama, one of the smaller states, is also sending in um, some National Guard to help with the situation down there. In this article, it says here that 275 troops are being sent from Alabama to uh, so you got Florida, you got Texas, you have Alabama down there, uh, all telling the federal government to f off. And um, I don't know. I, I hate to say it, but are the is this the seeds? Uh, you know, Trump better get elected. He better get elected to save this country from going into a civil war. Because if this continues with Texas, Florida getting involved, Alabama getting involved, these other red states sending troops to help the southern border crisis. In, in pure defiance of the feds, this could escalate into something that is not pretty at all. And, you know, it's not pretty at all, but, you know, the amazing thing is, is there's guys that are complete wackadoodle that are somehow coming along and becoming a little more, bit more rational, conservative, like Shrek, all, a.k.a. Fetterman. And even he is standing up saying we got to protect our border. Here's Fetterman. I don't know what happened to him. 
Well, I have an idea of what happened to him, but let's just listen to Fetterman real quick. Because obviously a lot of progressives on Twitter have been attacking you for your position on Israel, uh, for noting that, in your opinion, um, saying that there is a crisis at the border does not make one uh, xenophobic. Um, why do you think you've been so criticized by so many progressives? I, I honestly don't understand. I, I don't understand why it's controversial to anybody to decide that you're going to stand with Israel in this situation. I honestly don't understand why it's controversial to say we, we need a secure border. Uh, I've been very clear. In fact, that was weaponized against me as Republicans in my race, that I'm very much a, a strong supporter of immigration. And, you know, my, my wife's family, I, that's the uh, Oregon story about that. Uh, and I think two things I think at the same time. You can be very supportive of immigration, but we also need to have a secure border. And I really, uh, I think about immigration is we want to provide the American dream for any uh, migrant. But it seems very difficult when you have 300,000 people showing up encountered at, at our border to do that. And I think we need to, to re, do a reset and we have to work together uh, and develop uh, a new comprehensive solution to that. And that would also unlock a lot of the critical aid for Ukraine. Again, we cannot forget about Ukraine. That's that's critical uh, for Israel and Taiwan. That's a very important kind of standard that we have. Okay, Fetterman, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop you right there. But I am going to continue down this Fetterman road. Hang on a second. So Fetterman, he's he's standing up saying that we need to protect the border. He's also standing up and saying uh, that he's feeling alienated by his party for his just common sense stance. Um, here he is. Here he is. Uh, we played this the other day. Here he is uh, taunting some Palestinian protesters out, outside of his office. And then he also stood up and he also stood up and took a stand against, let's see if this is the next article, against uh, China buying up our farmland. Yeah, here we go. Here's an article from the Post. It's Fetterman in alliance with DeSantis on China says Beijing, Beijing should own zero farmland in the U.S. That's another very conservative idea. Uh, here he is. Fetterman joins the GOP blasting outrageous U.S. steel sale to Japanese company. And then here he is. Uh, I forget what this one is. There's been so many. Steel is always about oh, talking about the steel problem. As well, too. Senator John Fetterman joined Republicans in attacking the sale of U.S. steel for $14.9 billion. To okay, got it. Okay. Uh, so I have a theory here. And my theory here is that Fetterman, who had to, under, he underwent a stroke and he was really slipping there for a little bit, but he went under, he went under some extensive therapy. Uh, here he is. It says, since his tragic stroke has reduced Senator John Fetterman to a childlike state, we thought some therapy play with my patented puberty blocks might be beneficial. Uh, so here's Fetterman uh, receiving his therapy. He also said that he uh, received therapy for depression. He took a little break out of his seat to go to depression therapy. And this is my conclusion of all of this is with proper therapy and proper care, even the most whacked out liberal can come to their senses and have a conservative uh, revival. It proves that liberalism is a disease that can be cured with modern science and medical attention. That's my opinion, and I'm going to stick to it. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to hear that. 
Okay, so now we're now going to get into the trans woke news that's going on. We know that we just had a male that just uh, dominated a, a woman's golfing event. And here we go. Uh, this is just a little funny to get us in the right mindset before we go down this journey. Here we go. Well, I'm a women's boxer now. Did you hear the good news? USA Boxing just announced that men can box in the women's division. That's right. I can just punch women in the face now and everyone's all right with it. Yeah. Well, not just any man can compete in the women's division. Only men who lack the mental stability to not understand what their actual gender is. Like me. Because if you're gonna have men committing violence against women, I think mentally unstable men are the safest ones to do it. I've been boxing for 20 years now. I took it up when I was a kid. Oh, I should also tell you, I'm a woman now too. I took that up last week. USA Boxing says the purpose of this policy is to promote fairness and safety for all boxers. Thank you, USA Boxing. I do need more safety and fairness in my women's sporting endeavors. Hell yeah. Okay, so here we go. Here we go. Let's 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 delve on down this little rabbit hole that's all over X and Twitter today, and it is regarding the transgender golfer Haley Davidson. Uh, Haley Davidson wins women's terminate, increasing chances to LPGA qualifier. A transgender golfer with dreams of making it to the LPGA tour has won a women's tournament in Florida, which improved her chances of earning herself a spot in the qualifying tour. Haley Davidson is 30 years old, came out on top at the next women's classic on January 17th at the Mission Inn Resort Club 35. Now here's a picture of the beautiful Haley. Um, okay. 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 Well, John Daly had something to say about this and it was a surprise, surprise me not. Right. Uh, John Daly commented on the transgender playing on the LPGA tour saying I would have won 100 tournaments if I threw on a skirt and called myself a tranny. That dude is as feminine as a Ford F-150. I mean, little feminine. I no. let me, let me find another picture. Uh, there could be some femininity. No, no, just no, no, there's no, there's nothing, there's nothing feminine at all, at all. Uh, there is no word to say whether or not, uh, that this, this person, what was her name again? Uh, notice how woke I am responding to her as her Haley Davidson. Uh, no, no, uh, word of whether or not Haley's dick counts as a club in the bag. Um, according to LPGA rules etc that's just sad i shouldn't say that that's not woke at all uh but but let me say this let me say this okay we have this problem in women's sports right the, the extreme left the extreme the wokies they re, they refuse to refer to women as women women they refer to them as night natural or child birthers right so to them a real woman is a child birther but they won't assign it a woman or a male they'll just say child birther okay well, if that's what the woke calls a real woman that can give birth to a child, let's 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 entertain this thought for a second and let's play along with it. My proposal is this. We have a woman's league of sports and we open up a new league. That is the NCBL, the Natural Child Birthers Leagues, and we outlaw drugs like testosterone, etc. So if you're a trans man that was a born female that wants to play in the NCBL, you qualify. But if you're a trans woman, and you're not a child birther, you cannot 
qualify in the NCBL. NCBL, it rolls off the tongue really easy. I think that's what we should do. Make women's sports NCBL. And just leave the women's category, like if some a bunch of trans chicks want to play in the women's field that allows for that, then let them. But reclassify everything as the natural child birthers league, outlaw testosterone, which is a performance enhancing drug to begin with. And let's just start fresh. And as far as the whole bathroom issues and the locker rooms and all that other kind of stuff, well, we know most facilities have two, two bathrooms, old construction, you know, new construction. They have all gender rooms and all this other kind of stuff. I'm talking about old constructions. I'm talking about, I'm talking about teenage girls in the locker room where trans males come in there and bad things happen. Oh, Jake, you're making that up. Bad things don't happen. I'll get to that in a second. I think for that situation, if we want to make a law about it, if we want to make something official, okay, everybody that has two restrooms, one being an NCBL bathroom, a natural child birthers lounge, lavatory, NCBL bathroom, and then make the other bathroom all genders. I think if somebody's going to take a hit on this, I think it's the male, the male gender that needs to take the hit on this. And if, if they trans females want to come into our restroom, stand at the urinal, take a shit with us, I don't care. I would rather have these individuals in the male side of things than in with the little girls. You know, some trans woman wants to come in to the restroom and expose themselves. Big deal. I think men need to stand up for our women and take the hit on this. So if you have two restrooms, an NCBL, a natural child birthers lounge lavatory and an all gender lavatory. And man, it is raining hard. I don't know if you can hear that. I think that should be done. And of course, if you want to start new construction, and you want to be totally accepting to everyone, then you can build all 80 different restrooms at your facility for the 80 different gender identities that are out there. But we need to put an end to this nonsense. We need to put an end to, to, to male UFC fighters fighting against women. We need to put an end to male golfers competing against women and just call it the NCBL League. Natural Child Birthers League. Boom. End of story. Oh, 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 but how are we going to, uh, that, that's, that's so wrong to identify people that, that don't want to be identified. Okay. The other change I think we need to make to appease both sides of the argument is your ID. Your ID can have two sexes on it. How about that? You can have your born sex and your sexual identity. Okay. So you pull out your license and it says, I was born a man. I identify as a woman there, there it's said and done. It's said and done. You can be both. You can be both, uh, but I'm, but I'm a man that was born in a woman's body. Okay. Well, whatever you're, you're, you're a psychopath for the most part, for the most part. Now back to saying about what I was, what I was alluding to earlier about, uh, our females, our little girls, uh, being assaulted in bathrooms and everybody says, no, that doesn't really happen there. That doesn't really happen. Well, this guy brought the, uh, he brought the receipts and here are the receipts. Take a listen. Several weeks ago. In a vote to allow trans students to use whatever bathroom they wish, you assured us that these policies were perfectly safe, as neither yourself nor law enforcement could provide a single example of any trans student assaulting any girl in any bathroom, in any school, in any state, anywhere in all, in fact. But not to worry, since you could locate them, I took the trouble to. See, Loudoun County, Virginia, where last year, under district policy, a trans student was allowed into the women's bathroom where he assaulted a girl. To cover it up, they moved him to another school where he did it again. See Irvine, California last month, 
where a trans student entered the women's locker room and flashed the girls there. When they confronted him, he mercilessly beat them. This happened again in Gwinnett County, Georgia. This happened again in Oklahoma City. This happened again in Ohio, where a trans man was allowed to use the locker room where he was arrested for flashing little girls. The judge dropped the charges after he ruled that this man was too fat for them to see anything. Last month, in this city, a man using they-them pronouns in a scene straight out of Silence of the Lambs hunted down and killed a female jogger because he, quote, wanted to look just like her. And before you say that these are anecdotal evidence, just note that in a survey of trans inmates in federal prisons, half were convicted of sexual assault and 90% were convicted of violent crimes, well above the general prison population. Now, it should also be noted that in each of these cases, each of these perpetrators had either changed their pronouns, had undergone transition, or had received gender-affirming therapy and accommodations thereof. Why is this important to note? Probably for the same reason we recognize as a society that you do not affirm that people with anorexia can be healthy in any way. You do not affirm that somebody with schizophrenia is hearing voices. And you do not affirm that somebody in a manic episode is having great ideas. Because when you leave somebody to languish in their false mental state, i.e. men who think they are women, they will inevitably lash out and harm themselves and those around them, hurt people hurt other people, but I don't want to pretend and have the hubris to think that I'm going to be the one to change your mind. I'm happy to share any and all of these examples with you, but you will most likely leave here tonight believing that men can become women, affirming care works, and that you made the right vote. But you will no longer be able to look into the eyes of your constituents and honestly say that you are unaware of the assaults that inevitably take place when we declare to women, you have no right to privacy. Thank you very much. Damn. Damn. Homeboy came in hot. I love these videos. I love these videos of people standing up to school boards, standing up to local politicians and just reaming their butts. I love it. I love it. Um... But that is a uh, that is a powerful statement by that young man, and uh, I love the end of it where he says, I'm, "I know I'm not going to change your mind, but now you can't look at your uh, constituents and say that it never happens because now you know." Okay, along in the woke uh, rabbit hole that we are pursuing down, you know, uh, Stephen uh, Sean Strickland, man, and I I listened to his interview on Theo Vaughn. The guy is, boo. Ooh, he's out there. He actually uh, started breaking down and crying on the Theo Vaughn podcast when he was talking about his uh, rough upbringing that he had in the Inland Empire, which is my home too. Uh, he lived out there in Temecula. Uh, but Sean Strickland, he's becoming the poster boy for Canadians that are fed up with Trudeau and fed up with all the nonsense that's been happening in Canada. And even though he's a little outrageous, he is definitely outrageous. If you listen to the Theo Vaughn interview... With Sean Strickland, uh, it's cringe. It's cringe, uh, but then he really breaks it down, and you see how damaged this guy was in his upbringing, and, just, and it's like, okay, well, this all makes sense. Doesn't necessarily justify some of his viewpoints, but it makes sense. Well, anyways, in uh, this was in um, uh, Toronto, in Toronto, and I'm sure you've seen this. If you haven't, here it is. Here is Toronto Canadians 
after the firestorm that has been Sean Strickland sparking up the media over there. Here is a whole arena full of people at a UFC fight chanting. Will you tell me what they're saying? Fuck Trudeau. Is that the UFC? Yelling, yelling, fuck Trudeau. Love it. Love it. Yeah. That guy's a piece of shit. Canada, get your shit together. Come back. Come back to what you used to be. Boom. Yeah, it's amazing what, you know, a a few statements from one guy, how he can start moving uh, and, and empowering other patriots, Canadian patriots, to speak out. And uh, then, so Dana White, of course, now this is a, this is one of the smartest statements I think I've ever seen from Dana White. Uh, Dana White was uh, being asked, well, you know, basically, how come you don't put these guys on a tighter leash, guys like Sean Strickland? And here's his response in the fire and the passion in his soul as he was delivering this response. I love this too. Here we go, Dana White. Like, you obviously give a long leash to your fighters about, you know, what they can say when they are up there with a UFC microphone and you are getting into territory of homophobia, transphobia, like, is there... I don't give anybody a leash. Well, I'm saying you... A leash? I'm... St- like Free speech. When... Control what people say. Gonna tell people what to believe. Gonna tell people... I don't fucking tell any other human being what to say, what to think, and there's no leashes on any of them. What is your question? I was asking that question. I'll move on, though. Yeah, uh, probably a good idea. You just, that's ridiculous to say I give somebody a leash. Free speech, brother. People can say whatever they want, and they can believe whatever they want. If about like, That's right. They can say whatever they want, and they can believe whatever they want. And if they say stuff that is hurtful to other people, there's consequences for those actions, too. Uh, but Dana White, I think, uh, you know, everybody wants to call out the CEOs or the, the, the heads of a company, the heads of this, the heads of that, and claim responsibility for what one of their employees said or something like that. It's free speech. Doesn't mean it doesn't come with consequences, but it's free speech. And Dana, I love the fact that he's saying, I don't put anybody on a leash. I don't tell another man what they can or can't say. Yeah, let's go. All right, so now let's go down another wormhole. And this wormhole is the World Economic Forum. And I just want to pause and take a listen to what this person said. Let's see. Let's see if I can figure out exactly who this was. Uh, Uh, This was the editor-in-chief of the Wall Street Journal, Emma Tucker. Okay. And she is lamenting the death of public trust in the mainstream media. Okay. you, You heard what I said. This is Emma Tucker, Wall Street Journal. Okay. Listen to what she said at the World Economic Forum. All right, here we go. Let me get over there and play it. Here we go. Boom. If you go back really not not that long ago, as I say, we kind of, we owned the news. We were the gatekeepers and we very much owned the facts as well. If it said it in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, then that was a fact. Nowadays, people can go to all sorts of different sources for the news and they're much more questioning about what we're saying. So it's no longer good enough for us just to say, this is what happened or here's here's this is the news we have to explain our almost like explain our working so readers expect to understand how we source stories they want to know um uh how we go about getting stories that we have to sort of lift the bonnet as it were and in a way that newspapers you know aren't used to doing and explain to people what we're doing we need to be much more transparent about how we go about collecting the news we own the news 
We own the news. Now, without, now, okay, so this is making its rounds. It's really hot. We could be the collective idea that she's talking about as a representative from the uh, New York, is the New York Times? Wall Street Journal. Um, or it could be the collective of the people in the room at the World Economic Forum saying that we own the news, or we did, and we've lost grip on that. And now people that pay attention to the news are demanding fact-checking. They're demanding, where did you get this? They want to proof the stories. It's a powerful statement, especially when you're talking about the forum of where this conversation was happening, and it was at the World Economic Forum. The, the, the whole saying, we own the news. That's scary. That's scary. In other news at the World Economic Forum, uh, Mr. 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 Uh, 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 why am I blanking on it? John Kerry. John Kerry was there to talk to the world leaders and uh, talk about the problem that we have with farmers. Now, we've seen this whole outrageousness that's happening over in Europe and Germany, et cetera, where the farmers are totally standing up and they're running the streets of Berlin uh, because Germany is cracking down on them with legislation that makes it impossible for them to grow the food that fuels our country, the people of our country. Well, John Kerry, I think he wants to bring a little of that stateside. And here is John Kerry talking about farmers and how we got to do something. We got to do something. Here we go. Agriculture contributes about 33% of all the emissions of the world, uh, depending a little bit on how you count it, but it's anywhere from 26 to 33. And we can't get to net zero. We don't get this job done unless agriculture is front and center as part of the solution. But with a growing population on the planet, we just crossed the threshold of eight billion fellow citizens around the world. We just crossed that in this last year. Emissions from the food system alone are projected to cause another half a degree of warming by mid-century on the current course that we are today. A two degree future could result in an additional 600 million people not getting enough to eat. And you just can't continue to both warm the planet while also expecting to feed it. Doesn't work. So we have to reduce emissions from the food system to keep the 1.5 degrees alive. Why do we have to keep 1.5 degrees alive? Because scientists, as a basis of physics and mathematics, not ideology and politics or party labels or anything else. As a matter of physics and mathematics and some biology and chemistry have told us these are the consequences and we already see it happening. And almost everything they've predicted for 30 plus years now is coming true, but the problem is it's coming true faster and bigger than was in fact predicted. All right. Okay. 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 So, Mr. Kerry, and I, you know, and I, and I, I can't help but forget that this guy is married to a Heinz, right? Heinz, Heinz teams up with Kraft a lot. And I'm wondering, so what is the motive of this guy, right? So we all know that when it comes to farms and everything, that the, the, the number one CO2 emitter that it keeps coming up is bovines, cows, right? Well, I think this guy, John Kerry, he might have a little alternative interest in this. And the reason why is his wife's company. Well, him, Kraft Heinz, look at, look at this article. Kraft Heinz selling its natural cheese business to French dairy company for $3.2 billion. So they're getting out of the natural cheese business, shutting down the cows that they were responsible for and selling it over to the French. Now, the crazy thing about this is this John Kerry speech just went viral. And I had another article that I found last night that's been taken down. And what it was was an article saying that Heinz and Kraft 
are doing major funding into it, into uh, into um, lab-grown cheese. So they sold one business for $3.2 billion to the French while they're opening up labs and creating lab-grown cheese. Now, m miraculously, since this video of Kerry going viral, that article had been taken down. It was in Political Food or something like that. I don't know if I could find it again. I'm not going to try and do it right now, uh, but just do some Google stuff up there. I, you can still see the headline where the article popped up, but you pop on the article itself and it's been dismantled, taken down, going away. So we're kind of in that, and we're kind of going down that conspiracy vein uh, with uh, Mr. John Kerry and his attack on the farmers. Um, farmers cutting emissions. You know, and he's saying the scientists, biologists, all this other kind of stuff are on board. Well, not really, man. There's a lot of scientists that are coming out and saying the CO2 is the lifeblood of creation. Uh, if you know any drug dealers that grow a lot of weed, the one thing that they'll, they'll, they'll put in their grow houses to make sure they have a bountiful crop is CO2. CO2 feeds a lot of these growth in, in natural society. I'm not an expert on it, but there's been, you know, Tucker Carlson had that, that Asian scientist on that he was just calling the whole CO2 thing just the biggest hoax that's ever existed. And he said that there's been peaks in our history where CO2 was 1,300% higher than it is now. Conspiracy. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, so also, and we're still in that world economic forum vein, uh, the Croatian, uh, this is this, what is his name? His name is, um, Mislav Kolakusic. He's a Croatian lawyer and po politician who has been a member of the European parliament for Croatia since July 2nd, 2019. Well, he had some interesting things to come out and say about the world economic forum. Uh, he, this wasn't at the world economic forum. This was at, uh, it was at the a UN, uh, space a UN uh, politician space where he was speaking. And I have to read along with this with you, so here, let's go. He's all this, hold on, let me turn this down. Let's start this over, let's start this over, because they, well, we don't have an interpreter that's reading along, so let me turn his volume down. Okay, and it's gonna be a little awkward, so bear with me, because I have to read the, the, the uh, captions, assuming that they're correct. He's all this week a meeting of the so-called World Economic Forum, the world's most dangerous international association, is being held in Davos, Switzerland. The association consists of corporations, billionaires, lobbyists, and politicians elected with their money, and its founder is the notorious Klaus Schwab. There is no greater danger to the rule of law, democracy, and the free market than this sect, whose private financial interests are ahead of the interest of humanity. It is the largest networked organization of the world's conspirators, creating all the agendas we have witnessed in recent decades. Wars, pandemics, and policies of so-called green transitions, which result in the impoverishment and suffering of billions of people around the world as opposed to their enormous enrichment. Malicious ideas are created there, which are later worked out in detail by the media politicians they own. This group itself states that the globalized world is best governed 
by self-selected multinational corporations and governments and civil society organizations. Their idea is we choose ourselves. We do not participate in democratic elections, but we rule. Should anything be added to that, the World Economic Forum is by definition the largest creator of corruption in the world. A place where those with thousands of billions of euros meet those who wield political power in countries all over Europe and the world. Every year, dozens of heads of state attend Davos to receive orders that they must carry out in the coming period, which they are happy to do because they know that without this sect, their political career would not even exist. Boom. Boom. Kind of sounds like Alex Jones, doesn't it? Kind of sounds like the same theories that have been going on for conspirators for so long, but this is a Croatian politician uh, standing up and calling the WEF out, the World Economic Forum, as he sees. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff that the World Economic Forum had, like the president of Argentina. They had that president from that Heritage uh, Foundation uh, really coming in to talk crap on them to their faces. It's a, it's a weird move. It's a weird move. Definitely a weird move. Okay, well, I, I know, going anticlimactic here, uh, but I think we're going to end out this show. We've been going for, yeah, it's getting close to an hour. And uh, one just thing that I wanted, uh, there was a bunch of COVID news. I didn't even get into it because I think I want to wrap it up because of uh, time constraints, because I don't want to bore you too long. Uh, but this is one video that also, it always bears repeating, and I'm going to close out on this. And I'm not going to talk about COVID, but I'm going to talk about this. I'm just going to play this video about vaccinations. Here you go. Take a listen, and we're going to end out on this. Many children or people are, are to like totally unvaccinated. Is that like where where do you find? Is it just the uh, parents that stepped up and said? I would think that's a very small percentage because yeah, so many of us blindly followed, you know, uh, the recommendations to vaccinate children. Yeah, it's, uh, le it's less than one percent of the public. So uh, the Amish are a perfect example of a uh, large uh, group of people who are uh, largely unvaccinated. And there's no autism. We can't find an autistic kid who was unvaccinated. It's very, very rare in the Amish community. Very, very rare. You won't find kids with ADD, with autoimmune disease, with panda pens, with epilepsy. You just don't find any of these chronic diseases in the Amish. And, you know, the U.S. government has been studying the Amish for decades. But there's never been a report out to the public. The reason, of course, is it would it would show that, oh, if you don't follow our guidelines, you're going to end up healthier. That's why there's no report after decades of studying the Amish. There's no report because the report would be devastating to the narrative. It would show that the CDC has been harming the public for decades and saying nothing and burying all the data. All right. This has been Jake uh, swimming down the wormhole that is X. Twitter, and other uh, pop culture news. We didn't really get any pop culture, but uh, I'm going to wrap it up for today. I've got a busy week. I'm taking off out of the uh, homestead here, so I won't be back in the studio until next week. But be good humans. Be good to each other. Remember, remember, the only reason I'm playing this Amish little clip here about these you know, vaccinations and stuff is to remind you of what's going on. You know, I did have a lot more videos about this COVID. Now, I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get into it. But Disease X is on the way. They're already prepping and seeing how they're going to lock you down in the future. So be prepared for what comes next. Remember, we don't want to repeat what happened in 2020. That's for dang sure. All right. You guys have a, be a good one. Be good humans. And I'm out.